You're listening to Heritage Radio Network. HRN is food radio supported by you. Learn more at heritageradionetwork.org. This episode of Pizza Quest is brought to you by Central Milling, hand-selected grain, expertly milled for passionate bakers. Central Milling is the farmer, the miller, and the baker working together to preserve American farmland for tomorrow while providing the highest quality flour and grains for the bakers of today. Dating back over 150 years, Central Milling is built on generations of knowledge, and they know that premium flour starts at the source. Employee-owned, Central Milling works directly with their farmers to sustainably grow grains that have exceptional flavor, nutrient content, color, and baking performance, which results in one of the largest selections of premium specialty flour and grains in the country. Hand-selected for the highest baking qualities, milled, cracked, or blended slowly to minimize heat generation, then bake-tested for performance. Learn more about Central Milling and their products at centralmilling.com. Hi, I'm Peter Reinhardt, and welcome to Pizza Quest. I'm here today with Shannon Mangini, who some of you know, many of you don't know, but you're going to get to know her after our conversation today, because I, I think she's got a really interesting story to tell. It's, 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 it's talking about a roller coaster ride, uh, and we want Shannon to tell us all about it. Shannon is currently with, is you still with the OTG Management Group, right, Shannon? Yes, currently with OTG. And OTG is, and we're going to get back to that, but OTG is the company that is establishing food service sites, restaurants in airports, among the many things that they do, but trying to raise that game. But I want to get to that in a little bit because okay. that's sort of the the end of this story. Your story, well, when you first came on our radar was when you picked up, I think, you know, either franchise rights or some kind of rights to be able to do Defara Pizza uh, after Dom DeMarco passed away. And suddenly the brand was, you know, trying to figure out what to do next. And, and all of a sudden you had the rights to do some, I think, out on Long Island. Is that where it all happened? So actually it was, it was during my time when I was working for Defara the first time around. So we'll get into, I worked for Defara, left, and then ended up coming back kind of during pandemic. And this was actually the first time around that I had worked for them. This was pre-pandemic. So realistically, if I would have actually opened the shop and we were very close to doing it, it would have pretty much been two, three months, and then we would have hit pandemic. So it was actually, Dom uh, was still alive, Um, you know, his kids for the most part, running the business. He had still, he would still at Avenue J come up, maybe make a few pizzas go back. But it was kind of during that time where they had opened the second location uh, at the market in Williamsburg. And then that had gotten great traction. And in my thought, you know, I always uh, had wanted to open uh, my own pizzeria, own my own pizzeria. I'd established a very good relationship with the DeMarco family and with Margaret, who is one of his daughters who was mostly running the business at that point. Um, And we had gotten pretty far down the line. Um, We had a whole licensing agreement um, drawn up. I had lawyers, you know, they had drawn it up for me. We found a location, one, I mean, God, I had seen so many locations, uh, (laughs) but one that we felt confident about. I had investors lined up um, and really I had done all the, the work prior to that. So when it first became something that was on my radar that I maybe wanted to do, I said, okay, you know, what neighborhoods do I want to do this in? What am I considering? 
Yeah. And I really um, was thinking Manhattan um, and kind of my first thought of, right, how do I kind of go about, you know, what are my numbers going to be, what I think I can do? I can base it off of Avenue J in the market, but a little bit different model, different, you know, Brooklyn, where Midwood is and you right. know, Manhattan, very different markets. Uh, so my first step and what I did was I went to all the pizzerias that I felt like were maybe comps for what I was looking to do. I would go in there, try their pizza. I just try to talk to the staff or the owners who were there, engage, you know, what kind of business they did. Um, I would also actually camp out on busy days, not busy days outside of those pizzerias for hours on end and just kind wow. of see the foot traffic. Pretty serious then, market uh, research. <laughs> yeah, because I felt like I, you could talk to people and, you know, get ideas and get numbers, but to actually physically see it. And for me, you know, this was going to be pouring my life, my heart and soul, yeah. my investors, their money, some of my own money. So I just wanted to, you know, dot every I, cross every T. And, you know, I used all of that to then build out uh, some financial models to kind of project and forecast what I thought I could do here um, and use that actually to to eventually pitch the investors. Well, well, before you go forward with it, let's backtrack just a little bit because you, you, you're talking about it like like somebody who has great uh, sort of financial business, you know, experience. You did start out in the financial world before you even, you know, got into being a pizzaiola, right? Yes. So from a young age, and I think this came from my dad had owned his own business growing up. Uh, he had a tennis and sporting goods store in Queens on Northern Boulevard. Uh -huh. And one of my favorite things was to go into work with him. And even at a young age, I would say, oh, he runs this place. He's the boss. He makes the decisions. And, you know, I didn't see all the hard work as much behind that. Yeah. Um, but I just thought, oh, that's cool. So in thinking about what I wanted to do and go into college and study, I wanted to go into business. I ended up majoring in um, entrepreneurship, uh, you know, for that same reason, watching my dad. and. Yeah. Uh, I didn't exactly go the entrepreneurial route right out of college. I went right into investment banking and right to Wall Street uh, <laughs> for, for a little over two years. Well, that's uh, going to pay off now for you. That's for sure. Yeah. So, you know, while that was extremely grueling, um, those hours are no joke. Um, I joke that my three computer screens were my best friends for those uh, <laughs> yeah. a little over two years. There were times I didn't see my friends or family for a month or two at a time. But when I look back on it, I don't regret it at all. I think it was a great base. Um, understanding finances and, you know, kind of business acumen is what really helped me in the roles, each role that I had, you know, after that. Um, and then ultimately when I was looking to do my own Defara as well, and it's, you know, it's experience that, like I said, in every role that I've had since has been really, really valuable. And banking hours, not so different from restaurant hours. Yeah, yeah. Only difference, one you're sitting, <laughs> one you're, you know, you're standing, your knees and hips and back are screaming. So it's very simple. <laughs> yeah, and in the financial world, the, you, the, the, the opportunity for financial payoff could be great. Um, uh, yes. In the restaurant business, not the same odds. <laughs> no, no, not as much. And I think, you know, part of me going into finance was a little bit was um, kind of herd mentality where I'd grown up the school I was in. It pretty much was a filter to Wall Street. So it's kind of like I got in that herd mentality. Again, don't yeah. regret it because it gave me a, a great base. But the other thing was I wanted to become financially independent as quickly as possible. And so that really allowed me to do that. 
The other thing it allowed me to do is when I was looking to do my own projects down the line, I had some money saved up that I could put towards that to help keep as much equity as possible if we did open. Beautiful. Yeah. But but somehow you you ended up at one of the most famous iconic pizzerias, you know, in the in the country, if not the world, uh Defar's with under sort of the the Yoda of uh, you know, the maybe, I don't know, the Gandalf of, of pizza, uh, <laughs> Dominic DeMarco. Uh, what was it like? And how did you end up you know, getting in there? Is it just a place you had known from childhood or what? And and what, what was your relationship like with Dom? Sure. So, you know, growing up, my dad, we had always done pizza tours. Uh, when I traveled for sports, it was always, all right, what pizzeria are we going to now? And through that, he had ended up developing, Defaro was one of the spots we would go to. He ended up developing a really nice relationship with the owners there, mm-hmm. um, particularly with Margaret, some of the brothers. Um, he knew Dom, but Dom was a man of very few words. Anyone who's yeah. been in that shop knows. Right. Uh, unless maybe if someone speaks Italian to him, he'll give you a little bit more. But um, you know, is he cultivated that relationship with the family. And in a way, my dad throughout the years has almost been an unofficial brand ambassador for them. Um, he really right. has, you know, spoke volumes about them, rightfully so, to everyone and anyone that he could find. And so growing up, he always brought back either we went or he brought home to Far Pizza when I was in college. Hey, what do you want us to bring you <clears throat> when we come for your game? You know, Defara Pizza. So After I had done banking, I then went to ESPN, did some corporate finance. Uh, It was kind of the same deal. I just every day didn't want to go to really didn't want to go to work. Um, Excuse me. Wasn't inspired. And it ended up they moved our office out to Connecticut. I didn't want to go. So I just took the severance package, got laid off. And I said, I'm going to go travel. Um, So I traveled for about two months. And throughout that time, I just said, I got to do something in food. I got to do something in food. That's just where my heart is pulling me. It kind of always has, but before I was able to kind of push it down a little bit. And at the time, you know, I'd spoken to my dad about this and he said, you know what? You're going to think I'm crazy, which is usually how he starts off a lot of things. <laughs> uh, the, great, the great ideas just always start with that sentence. <laughs> yeah. So he said, you know, I was talking to Margaret, I was in the shop and they're opening a second location in Williamsburg uh, in a couple of months. Why don't you sit with her, you know, just chat and see where it goes. And I thought, okay, I want to get into food. I don't know if they'll have me because I have zero experience. Uh, They are the Mecca, the pinnacle of pizza. So what are they going to do with someone who has literally zero restaurant experience besides just growing up in a very Italian household? Um, So I thought, I don't know. My mom chimed in and she was like, like, what? Pizza? Yeah, I I didn't I didn't pay for four years of college and, you know, to go go to work in a pizza shop. And and, you know, it was one of those things when I talked to my dad, I just had this gut feeling this is something I had to try. Um, and, you know, a philosophy I have is just kind of no stone unturned. And I said, you know, what can hurt? Yes. Whatever comes out of it, comes out of it. Let's go chat. Um, so funny enough, we went, we chatted. It was over pizza, of course. So we went to uh, King Umberto over in Elmont. Uh, <laughs> shout out to John Cesarano. Great pizzeria there. Did you have and a grandma he, pizza while you were there? <laughs> yes, absolutely. Now he's got the Metro going, which is also fantastic. But um <laughs> So we sat down and it was Margaret, myself and my dad, and we just got to talking, you know, hearing what their vision was for this new location. And I'm not sure if I had the best pitch in the world, but I know that it started off with, 
I have zero experience in the restaurant industry. I have zero experience in the pizza industry, but I know how to work hard and yeah. I'm willing to do whatever it takes to learn this business and just get an in um, because I knew I wanted to learn it from the ground up. And, you know, we had a really great lunch. I don't remember a ton from it because I feel like I just got nervous. I, I realized once we sat down and we're talking to her, I just, this was something I really wanted. I almost kind of blacked out a little bit in, in my pitch to her of how I was trying to sell myself. Um, <laughs> and, you know, we got on very well and she was like, you know, let me think about it. Let me talk to my brothers, see what we might need and where we might need help. So, um, you know, I heard back from her, I think within the week and she said, you know, we could really use, we can always use extra hands. Um, why don't you come down, try for a couple of weeks, see what you think. We'll see what we think and go from there. And I think I started week two that it was officially open. Um, so the family had done all the opening, Dom, all the brothers, cause he has seven kids. Um, so five wow. boys, two girls. And I came in that second week and I literally think the first thing I did was I started washing dishes. Um, and so was this know, at the Midwood location, the original? So this was at the new location. Oh. The new location. Williamsburg location. So oh, I right, started right. there. Um, I eventually did go over to the Midwood location. Um, I kind of split my time more so the market because I ended up kind of being the general manager of the market location uh, pretty quickly. So, uh -huh. you know, coming in, starting out doing dishes, you know, within that first few weeks, there was a pizza maker who had been with Dom for a while. And he looked at me in one day and he goes, do you want to learn how to make pizza? And I was like, yeah, I kind of yeah. thought he never asked. Like, I didn't want to be presumptuous. I didn't want to, you know, kind of ask for something too soon. But I was like, absolutely, I would love to. So the word uh, you know, I still have that memory of that making that first pie and, you know, the feel of the dough on your hands and yeah. uh, magical experience. Uh, well, so that's how you got, that's how you first started you became a pizzaiola at that point. <laughs> yes, yes. And then, you know, making sauce, prepping ingredients. Um, and I really ended up taking on a much larger role once I kind of established myself and I guess proved myself, so to speak. And I did have this business background. And so I ended up, you know, I looked at this business and I just said, not that it's all about money, but there's ways in which they can really maximize, get their name out there. I mean, when I got there, they didn't have a website. Uh, the website that was actually online was run by someone who they had no idea that person was collecting all the ad revenue and it wasn't even their real menu. Uh, so I got them a website. I started uh, really building out their social media, started uh, building out. I started pizza making classes, which were so much fun and were such a big hit. We did that at Avenue J as well as at the market. Um, and then, you know, I, was the one who kind of controlled the emails and in a sense became a little bit of an assistant to Margaret as well. And you would be floored at the amount of things that come through that email of just opportunities. And, you know, I think they were so, so busy. They just yeah. didn't have time to really pay attention, but they had things come through, you know, to do commercials, to do food and wine festivals internationally, um, to be a part of other festivals. And that's kind of, uh, another hat I put on and then later on kind of the licensing for food trucks and uh, ghost you kitchens, things like that. You showed up at the the right person at the right time because they needed a pair of fresh eyes. They're, they're old school. They've been doing it their whole life. They can't see outside the forest. And yep. now you bring them, you know, like a whole new perspective. Uh, the new, the, the 20, 20, 21 years, whatever it was, whatever year that happened. 
that you were uh, bringing them into modern age. And, yeah. um, and so um, sounds like the timing couldn't have been better. Um, so, so where did it go from there? So from there, it was just kind of continuing to build the business in different facets. Like I said, starting these classes, participating, you know, in these festivals, uh, merchandising. Uh, we had gotten to do one really cool uh, food and wine festival over in uh, Melbourne, Australia. So they had invited us out and Margaret was like, I don't know, like, I don't really get on planes. Like, I couldn't <laughs> right. even really get her to go to Pizza Expo. I was trying to get her to go. And she's like, I don't know, I don't know. And they said, you know, you can bring a total of four people. So we're like, all right, who's going to go? None of her brothers wanted to go. So I had had a good friend who had, you know, I introduced to Margaret. They hit it off. He's a really good home cook. And then she had brought a friend who had kind of been in the business here, here and there. And we went over to Australia to do a collab with a restaurant over there called Harley and Rose. Um, it was one of those moments where I learned that you can't just take a recipe, bring it somewhere, and it's actually going to work out. Right. Uh, I had started making the dough, and it was a complete slop mess. Oh boy. Uh, and it was it was a lot of trial and error through the night to actually get the dough to where we wanted it. And uh, we, like I said, we did that collab with them, and you know they had a full service restaurant, and the oven was in the back outside. Um, and you know we came in, and, and the restaurant was like, you know, they'll order off our menu, they'll order off your menu. We'll see how it goes. No, everybody ordered off the far menu. So it was, we were just cranking, cranking, cranking. We couldn't keep up, but it was similar to Avenue J where people typically wait two hours for a pie. Um, was one of the so, challenges with that dough, was it because it was a different flour or because you were in the Southern hemisphere or what caused it to be so challenging? They couldn't source our exact ingredients. So they had sent some substitutes to me, which I had researched, talked to some people, thought, okay, this will probably probably be a good substitute. I mean, the other thing, which looking back, again, a learning lesson is, you know, DeFaro, which I think many people know this, there, there's no measurements. Yeah. It is a handful of this, even though my hand is different from Dom's hand is different right. from right. the brother's hands you know, a pinch of this, a little a shake of that. So that didn't work over there. And, you know, I should have known going over there, hey, this isn't going to work. But I thought, hey, you know, I, I didn't really know know at that time. Uh, because <laughs> if I had made dough, <laughs> if when I made dough anywhere else, it just, it still kind of works. So maybe there was some Southern Hemisphere, you know, <laughs> elements making it a little bit different. But, you know, that's just kind of some cool things that we ended up doing, you know, doing Slice Out Hunger, uh, that Scott Wiener puts on. That was amazing. We did a Martha oh, yeah. Stewart festival, um, the Bronx Pizza Festival, which was another dough uh, mishap. Uh, we ended up borrowing dough from another pizzeria, unbeknownst to everyone <laughs> there. But hey, you know what? I wish I remember their name. It made a great pizza. Well, before we move off of the Defara phase of your life, which is was an important phase, but only just a small piece of you know the bigger picture for you, um, can you just for, for those people who have heard of Defars or are listening to us today, but have never been to Defars, never had it, what is there anything you can point to that defines what makes their pizza so special? Is it just simply because Dom was the one who was making it, or was there something you know special and unique about their process? Yeah, I, th I think there's a few elements. I think a the ingredients that they use uh, and not compromising on those ingredients. The bills that they would have, the invoices I would see, I mean, it, it was, it's, it's expensive ingredients. Um, so I think first and foremost that, uh, you know, at the Avenue J location, which 
I did start working at one or two times a week. They had originally been closed on Monday, so we decided to open them back up. You know, I think there is something to be said about that oven and how seasoned, the, uh, you know, those uh, stones are. It also, again, unbeknownst to anyone, unless they were at the oven making the pizzas at that spot. So it was a gas oven, uh, really old school, grandfathered in, wouldn't be approved today. Yeah. But there was one very interesting element in the back right corner where the stone was cracked and kind of had chipped off. So <laughs> you would get at times a live flame coming up into uh, that chamber, which uh, extremely dangerous, most likely, uh, <laughs> if you talk to any, you know, code inspector. But the secret ingredient. <laughs> exactly. So it, it almost, you know, while it's a gas oven and, you know, you know, the style and, you know, what you would get from that, it also did have kind of that flame a little bit. And I won't say wood fire because there wasn't wood, but, you know, there's a char when there's an actual flame. And I think yeah. it was actually poetic in that, you know, Defar, I won't get into the recipe, but it is yeah. a blend of flowers. Um, you know, it's, it's a neo-New York, really, when you break down the flour um, right. and the ratios. And so it was almost poetic that, you know, New York typically made in a gas oven, but then you have some, you know, maybe double zero in there that's typical to a Neapolitan. So you kind of have that wood-fired live flame in there that's that's giving it, you know, that, that sort right. of imparting that flavor. So, you know, I think those two things. And, you know, third... What I've really experienced in this industry is people like a story. They like an experience. And when you would go into Avenue J and Dom would be out in front, it was a show. Yeah. Um, I have like a little bit of chills. It just, he was such a master of his craft. Yeah. He took his time. He did not care. People were waiting two, three hours because to right. him, it was the integrity of the product. So he yeah, would that take was, his time. One thing he was, was famous that. for was that, the slowest pizza maker in the world. People just, yes. they think go for the show. Yeah. So it was, I think it was part of that and just, you know, his legend. Um, and, he, and he really did build this. I forget how old he was, but they opened it in 65. And for the longest time, he was the only one who was up there. No one could come up there. The first day I went over to Avenue J, I was scared. Uh, I didn't know how he was going to receive me. I think it helped that I was a young female and maybe reminded him of his daughters. I'm not sure, but yeah. he was okay with me being up front. Um, <laughs> and what was really special is on some of the days he wasn't up there. He was, he was just a bit older at the time. Couldn't, couldn't be up there all day, but so I would be up there, me, one other pizza maker, Margaret, uh, you know, we'd be making pies. And then all of a sudden he'd decide, yeah, you know what? I'd like to make a couple of pies. So then he would come sauntering from the back yeah. and kind of just hand motions. Like, you know, I got this kind of thing. We would, you know, just make sure he had everything he needed, topping sauce, everything um, stayed out of his way. And he'd make a couple of pies. And then when he was kind of tired, he'd go and sit down and then we'd take back over. Um, yeah. You know, that was really special and something I cherish. It didn't, um, didn't last too, too long. Cause just as he got older, he was less and less likely to come up, but he was really always in the back and Margaret, she's an incredible cook. Um, you know, would just be making him food all day. Wow. But what, what a, a fabulous opportunity you had number one for yourself, but also that you were then helping to bring the company into modern times and, and uh, give them a new perspective, which I, I'm not sure what they've done with it since. I don't know whether the growth and the scaling up of the company, because I mean, you can't scale up a, an oven with a crack in it, with a flame that shoots out. You can't scale up the slow, you know, care and craft that Dom Dominic DeMarco would put into each pizza. If right. you're not 
going to honor that that slowness and you don't have the legend so you speed becomes important and and uh you know counting the the, the cost of every ingredient becomes important as you scale up so i don't know how that's translated to the company and when you tried to ex- extend the brand did that did that become a challenge for you yeah because i think you know they had done the williamsburg location and then in terms of when i was looking to like I said, got approached to do a ghost kitchen, got approached to do a food truck, um, you know, approached to do other locations constantly, me looking to do my location. It was, okay, we can't recreate, we can't duplicate Dom. You know, that's not going to happen. And even yeah. if we did, if I'm doing it, it's not the same as Dom doing it. Um, so right. we knew we couldn't recreate that. But I think what we focused on was continuing to use those quality ingredients and not you know, just going for the cheaper thing. Um, Speed, especially if we were going to be in Manhattan, was going to be crucial. So what I tried to do was look at, you know, what equipment or what processes can we, you know, do or figure out to get this same kind of pizza. And, you know, one thing that I really landed on um, and I went out to their Connecticut office to do test trials. And then once we did that, was going to show to Margaret and her brother's um, you know, if they felt the quality was the same was we went out to pizza master, uh, and went to their Connecticut spot where we did a bunch of test bakes and funny enough, uh, you know, my dad was there as well. And he was like, this is, this is just as good as anything I've ever had there. Like he goes, he was like, I don't want to make you feel bad, but going in, I wasn't sure you're going to be able to do this and recreate it. But he was like, you really did. And you know, there were some other things that, um, you know, Dom had done in kind of a longer time ago. You know, we're talking 20, 25 years, such as, you know, finishing the pies with really aged Parmigiano Reggiano, things like that. Yeah. Some of that, as the years went on in that original location, for cost purposes, did fall off a little bit. And so, you know, my idea was kind of how can I bring a couple of those old school elements back, make it cost effective. Um, and I tried to recreate his actual older recipe um, and make it cost effective. Um, so it was it was kind of playing around. I really love the Pizza Master. Um, I, I thought it created an excellent Defara round, an excellent Defara square. Uh-huh. Um, so you, something that the family would approve. So you so it was working. You were you were we're making that transition, you know, into a modern iteration of Defara. And then, uh, but you're not there anymore. So what happened to you? At some point, you decided to leave Defara and and uh, go into you know your your story continues. And, I, <laughs> and and you ended up that was a that would be enough experience for some people to go. I could live on that for the rest of my life. But then you you've taken a couple other steps since. So tell take us through the transition of leaving Defara's and going on into the restaurant business. Sure. So it was a tough decision to leave, but I think in my gut, I felt like. I had learned a lot here. I had been exposed to a lot. I think when my licensing deal kind of fell through, I was a little bit like, you know, I can keep working here, but there's not much more for me to learn. Um, uh, and that next step was going to be the licensing. Um, ultimately, the the family just didn't want to do it. Um, and that's fine. I, I understand that, you know, you got to make a decision for yourselves, your business, Um, So I kind of said, you know, what I need to move on. And, you know, in my mind, I knew I wanted to get full service restaurant experience um, because, you know, I thought maybe one day I open a pizzeria. But in that pizzeria, I was even thinking about I wanted to do little apps and salads and get a little more creative with it. The old, the farm menu actually had a lot of that stuff on it, too. 
So I wanted to bring that old school piece back. So I'd already had in my mind, I want to get some full service experience. Um, so I went and did that with a group in Manhattan, um, about like a 250 to 300 seat restaurant. Wow. Uh, so I had, yeah, had worked for them, um, serious volume, serious covers. Uh, and I was a manager for them. Um, and you know, I was doing that. I learned a ton. And then March 2020 happened. Uh, we kind of all know how that how that right, went. Yeah, so, kind of like hitting the wall. Yes. So I went in for my closing shift. I was the closing manager typically. And, you know, we had a call at the end basically saying New York shutting down on Tuesday. No one come in for work tomorrow. So I was like, OK. It was Next literally time. the closing shift. <laughs> yes. Yes. Literally the closing shift. So, you know, kind of what do I do now? What's going on? What's this COVID thing? How long is it going to stay around? Yeah. And, you know, we had realized it was probably going to be a little bit more than two weeks. So um, my friends and I at the time said, let's get out of New York. We actually went out to California and Sedona and just enjoyed ourselves out there. Uh, sure. But while I was out there, I went to, in Phoenix, I went to Chris Bianco's spot um, and just, you know, fell in love with, with his pizza. Yeah. Um, you know, it kind of reinvigorated me back into that pizza mind. I was like, God, I love this. I got to get back to this. So when I came home from that, uh, you know, me and my dad were like, because he, he was basically laid off at the time as well. Same with my mom and my brother. And so I was bored. I was like, yeah, we got to do something here. What are we going to do? Yeah. Um, Margaret actually had, this is where I go back to the FARA. Um, Margaret had needed more people because Avenue J was busier than ever. Cause now people didn't have a job. They could wait two, three hours for a pie. Right. True. Um, and then she was also building out uh, a gold belly business, which was right. flourishing yeah. throughout the pandemic. Yeah. That, that, so, that was the explosion for gold belly which yes. is now becoming one of the great success stories of, of the food service industry. Great timing for him. Um, yeah. Hats off. Uh, really great business. Cause it's kind of before we were like, what's this gold belly thing? I don't know. They've been trying to get us for years before the pandemic, but anyway, we, we jumped into that. So she was sending out really hundreds to thousands of pies a day. So I came in, I was doing production. I was, you know, overseeing the whole operation and then a day here and there working at Jay again. Um, wow. And, you know, also while I was doing that, I just said again, you know, like this, I'm back in it. It's nothing that's that new. So my dad said, hey, why don't we maybe do some pop-ups? I had a friend who had a wood fire trailer. They were going to let us borrow it. Huh. Um, and I said, all right, yeah, let's let's try it. First, we didn't use the wood fire trailer. We had a friend who had a B&B &B out on the North Fork on Long Island in Jamesport. They nice. had some ovens and... Um, we would go out there. Uh, we set up at the BNB. We tried to advertise a little bit. Um, what was amazing was that area was no pun intended, but super hungry for some sort of food establishment. Um, and in that neighborhood, you could kind of walk there. So we opened up there, was running the pop-up out of there under the Defara monocle. Um, and it was, it was great. We had so many people come out. Paulie G came out. Uh, that was really fun. Uh, we had a lot, just a lot of other people. My family came out. Uh, it was just wonderful because it was a place. I was in the kitchen pretty much by myself. Uh, my dad was front of house. So we were really a two-man team there. And then, you know, they had this beautiful outdoor seating. So it was just really nice in a time when 
it was, you know, things were sad things, you know, a lot was going on in the world, but you saw everyone kind of come together and they were, you know, laughing and enjoying the pizza and the beach was right across the street. So we would do deliveries to the beach, um, you know, just a safe place that everyone could be outside. Um, and th that was our first pop-up spot. Then we started talking with wineries and breweries throughout Long Island, ended up popping up there, uh, had the wood fired oven. And we didn't do just pizza. I mean, we were doing lobster rolls, chicken fingers, <laughs> garlic knots, pretzels. Um, it was you and your dad seemed like a real dynamic team together. Yes. So I, you know, I had the kind of the food portion on lock. My dad is the ultimate salesman. He could sell ice to an Eskimo. He, it's, it's insane. Yeah. Uh, so he was all front of house uh, and that was his jam. Uh, and, and we worked really well together. You know, I think they were long, long days and, and there were times where, you know, it, it working with family can always be tricky, right? Yeah. But I think me and my dad have such a wonderful relationship that at the end of the day, no matter what happened, it was always just like, yeah, I, you didn't mean that. I didn't mean this. You know, we were just stressed. You know, we, we had to get the order out and you yeah. know, we were fine. Um, and the other beautiful thing about that experience was it wasn't just my dad. In the beginning, it started as the two of us. But um, my uncle had saved the day a few times. My little cousin started working for us, which was uh, one of my favorite parts of it all. He was an incredible worker. My mom would come out. Uh, my brother came out and helped. Uh, my aunts. Uh, my grandmothers came out. They didn't help, but you know they they were taste testers. This this sounds like a, like a, a made for TV Hulu series. Or something. <laughs> it, it could have been. I mean, the man genie. Of, yeah, at uh, one of the breweries, you know, it was really you know we had tickets. It was timing because you know chicken fingers, lobster rolls, pizza, all different timing. My yeah. parents aren't from the restaurant. They didn't understand all of that. And so I did have a few Gordon Ramsay moments uh, where I was just like, you know, how much time on this? And, you know, I'm yelling out. And, uh, you know, but like I said, at the end of the day, we had such a good time with it. Great memories. Um, and it was hard work, but, you know, I'd do it all over again. But that now led to the next step in your career, because there still was we're still like just taking steps by steps to to become who you currently are. Yes. Um, so kind of coming off of that, the I was still working for Defara. And then at the time when I was doing the pop-ups, I was basically working seven days a week. Once winter hit, the pop-ups kind of fell off. And then, you know, we came into the new year of 2021. Yeah, 2021. Amazing, Amazing how and much happened in such a short period of time. Yes, a lot. A lot happened. And in about January of 2021, um, Steven Starr had reached out to me. I hadn't been in previous talks with him a couple of years prior when I was kind of the Smith and I, I had been talking with them a little bit. Um, they weren't ready at the time, I think, to either take me on or kind of do something with pizza. So in January of 21, he had reached out and, you know, I was kind of ready again to move on. And you know, for me, he's also kind of the mecca of restaurateurs going to school in Philly. I used to save my work study money to then go downtown and just go to all of his restaurants. Oh, really? You're, so, um, so you spent a lot of time in Philly. That's my hometown. So, oh, I, okay, I yes, Steven, yeah, I went to school. Stephen Starr is a legend in Philly for some of the great restaurants, and he's taken some of them to New York and beyond. Yeah. So, so how did you get on his radar? So, when I had worked at the market with uh, Fortifara. There were other business owners within that market. One of those business owners um, who owns a place called Chuko Ramen, 
He had previously worked for, do you know who I'm talking about? No. Okay. Uh, his name's Jameson Blanken, Blankenship. Yeah. Um, he, I had just become friendly with all the owners there because in a sense, while I wasn't an owner, I was kind of the one running that spot. So, uh, <laughs> you know, I made friends with a lot of them and, you know, I'd kind of talked to him about what I was thinking of doing. And, uh, you know, he was like, you know what? I have Steven Starr's number. He knew I went to school in <laughs> Philly and he said, you know, let me shoot an email, set you guys up, just talk. And I was like, oh my God, like, thank you so much. Absolutely. I, I would love to speak with him. And that was kind of that first iteration when we were having co uh, conversations. I ended up uh, going and working for, you know, the group in, in the city, but um, you know, lo and behold, January of 2021 comes out, comes around and, you know, he really was thinking of doing something in pizza. Um, and so he, he gave me a call. I, you know, interviewed with them and, uh, you know, they brought me on, I think it was March of that year. Um, and, you know, started working for him and did a lot of different things there. My title there was director of special projects and pizza concepts. That's a great title. Um, it was, it was like for me to have pizza in my title, my friends thought I was People would kill for a title like that. <laughs> yeah. And then I was like kind of colloquially known in uh, the company as just the director of pizza which was very cool. So um, did you live in Philly while you were doing that? Or did you, were you based there in Philly or were you coming down from New York? So I was coming down from New York. Yeah. Um, so I was, cause I didn't just work um, on pizza just in Philly. Originally when I started, I did about, I think it was about a 10 week training um, working in a lot of the restaurants in New York. Um, uh -huh. So I was based there first. I was living in Greenpoint, Brooklyn at the time. And then thereafter, you know, we got a little bit into pizza. So I started traveling to Philly, started doing some tastings for Steven and, and the, you know, the higher ups. And then, you know, there were also points where I kind of filled in at other restaurants. So Upland in New York, uh, Pizzeria Stella down in Philly, working. Well, that's the one there. I know of. Stella was, was his first pizza restaurant, as I recall. Because I remember yeah. years ago being contacted by them to get, do some, you know, Consulting. minor consulting you know so i remember that but so what was the new pizza direction that he wanted to go into that he brought you in for so he had a couple of different ideas but i think ultimately he wanted to do something one iteration was kind of something reminiscent of a defara a new york slice shop because as you know stella was more it's it's neo-neapolitan but yeah. it's you know wood fired up in small format yeah um, and that's really kind of a restaurant they have pastas apps everything so he right. wanted to do a slice shop um, and that's kind of where he wanted to lean on me for kind of that expertise and experience that I had had at Tafara. Um, he, he loved the pizza there. So we had done, you know, a lot, a lot of tastings, um, probably too many tastings <laughs> to the point where like everything's just blending. But as you know, with pizza, so many variables you can change and, you know, a little bit of hydration, um, you know, maybe doing a little bit different of a mix of flowers, trying completely new flowers. Um, so, it was a lot of trial, trial and error. And what we had was, I loved that when I got there, he had bought a three deck 900 series pizza master. Uh, so I, when I walked in and saw that, I was like, Oh, game on. This is great. You know, yeah. I didn't know what I was going to be working with. Uh, so we had this, this room that I'll say it's an R and D kitchen. It was kind of a construction zone, uh, <laughs> but there was a, the 900 series pizza master in the corner. I had a pizza prep table, um, and I would do all of my other prep for dough and stuff at Stella and then bring it up. Um, and some days I was just in there testing with my, by myself. 
Um, we would have tastings. I also worked with a very, very talented chef that still works for him, Shane Solomon. Um, and he and I were the ones who were really going to be, um, you know, bringing this concept to fruition. And wow. so while we were there, not just doing tastings, once we found our first spot, we really started looking at, okay, square footage, what volume can we do out of here? We're looking at, you know, schematic layouts, where are we going to put everything? What's the flow going to be like? Um, and then I would, because of my background, you know, one day be making the pizza with Shane, but then I would also maybe the next day be putting on the blazer and going and talking with finance and looking at construction budgets, um, you know, pro formas, things like that. Um, and, you know, same thing with uh, marketing or, you know, kind of any other facet that, you know, you need to, to open the business. And then I would also be there for uh, when we started construction, because we did start construction on an original place. Um, you know, I was the one there meeting the GC and, you know, talking on calls with architects and engineers and stuff that was kind of over my head. But all I did was took notes and then I would Google everything and try to figure out, you know, what exactly. You were kind of like a project director at that point. I was, I yeah. was, I ended up being project managing it. Um, so I was really involved in, you know, every, every facet of it. Um, so this is like, a, once again, I hate to rush through this because I don't, I'd be, before we run out of time, we still have a whole other step in your, you know, career <laughs> ascent. Uh, I mean, again, once again, you had a job that, Many people would you would, would be so happy to just say run it out there. You know, you were one of the great restaurant groups in the country. Uh, you know, a, a visionary restaurant leader like Stephen Star. Did first of all, did the did the slice shop idea ever scale out and and kind of happen? Is is it going now? So unfortunately, that the original one I was just talking about, where we were kind of, I would say halfway through construction, had really started on a lot of marketing. We had done you know a lot of renderings. We had ordered a lot of equipment. Um, we couldn't end up going there due to kind of technical reasons of the building it was in, the condo association that was a part of it. So we couldn't go there. We found a second location. Shane and I had just kind of looked at numbers, looked at operationally. We said, this is probably isn't going to work. Then we looked at a third location, which would have been more of a full restaurant, similar to Estella. Yeah. Um, and I think at the time he just felt like, I thought this was going to be a slice shop. I think that's really what he wanted to do. Also, you know, he had been approached to do so, so many projects coming out of COVID that were, you know, 15, 20, 25, 30 million a year kind of restaurants. And, you know, a lot of his focus went there, which, you know, I completely understand it. It's a business decision. Um, so it never, it never came to fruition. It's yeah. amazing. You can get that close, that close and then go, oh. not quite yet, you know, because, yeah. and of course the slice shop concept right now is about the hottest category there is in, in yes. the pizza world. So it was, it was heartbreaking, honestly, because I had come there with a lot of high hopes. I understand the decisions he made. And ultimately, it was one of those things where I felt like, okay, I need to maybe move on. And I said to him, you know, as I was leaving, please, if you ever consider doing this again, you yeah. know, give me a call, um, you know, even if it's in just some sort of consulting capacity or, you know, just to maybe be a fly on the wall. Uh, well, I'd love to, I'd love to hear from you. Well, one thing we've learned about you in this conversation so far is you're really resilient. Number one, you're really resourceful and you don't burn bridges. You know, you, you went back yeah. to the farming and so you can, you've kept your friends, which is a great thing. And, and, uh, and who knows if you'll end up back there, but you had another card to play. Somehow you ended up, you know, working in for OTG, right. And, um, uh, that's a management group that operates restaurants everywhere, but mainly known for the airport work, right? 
Yeah, so OTG is an airport concessionaire, and they had approached me kind of at that time where I was really, you know, I don't know if this is going to happen at Star, and, you know, I feel like I need to go and do something else, maybe come back if, if they change their mind. But, you know, what really attracted me to OTG is they're game changers in the airport concession space. Um, they really put their money where their mouth is in terms of food quality. Uh, you know, if you've been to the New York airports, they're in JFK, they're in LaGuardia, they're in Newark. Um, they do things like hand-making their own pasta at airport locations. I mean, a lot of Italian brick-and-mortar restaurants don't even do that. Um, so there's just, when I heard that and coming from, you know, like a slightly chef background in pizza, um, you know, that was something I felt like I could get behind. And then the actual job itself, so I'm the Senior Director of Partnerships and Brands, so <laughs> I do... Talk you food. get these titles every time you make a <laughs> leap. You get these great titles. <laughs> you got a wall of all the titles that you've had. <laughs> um, but it was just, you know, I, I got to do and talk all day, every day about food. Um, so part of my job starting off is, you know, we think about an airport that we want to go into, a city, um, or we think about airports that are kind of releasing these things called RFPs, requests for proposals, where they're saying, hey, we want new concessions. So what I do first is I'm researching what food concepts are there, what's popular, what do people love, what do I love when I've been there, what do friends that I have lived there, what do they love, and I reach out to them, um, and I talk to them about OTG, see if they'll want to be a part of our bids, uh -huh. and um, basically onboard them, and we're licensing their, their brand and everything, which was also something that then my DeFar experience kind of came in came in handy with doing my own licensing and then licensing right. deals for them. So then once we have them onboarded and a proposal is released by an airport, we'll look at kind of the aesthetic and theme they're going for. And then how do we want to strategically think about, you know, the brands that we have and where we want to place them. And, you know, within this job, I get to sit in on menu development conversations and actually have a say, um, you know, I'll, this company, it's incredible in that, you know, even I've only been here for six or so months, um, you know, my opinion and, and my thought is, is valued and I actually have, you know, a say and it's, it's just wonderful to be talking about things I love all day and, and the best, best part and this is similar to doing something like this with you is you meet so many people. Um, I've met so many wonderful, wonderful business owners and, you know, have made relationships. And, you know, the, the one piece that I try to bring to this job to kind of a little bit make it my own is I really like to look for brands that not only have good food and a good reputation, but maybe are women owned, uh, minority owned, yeah. um, you know, different groups that maybe don't always get these chances. Um, and that's kind of like my little um way of a way of giving back or doing something good and also just you know what what i would love to see because i was almost a female business owner and i know the trials and tribulations i had yeah. in doing that and, and so you're also you, part of that community of women in pizza yes. that's really helping to again extend that that concept the brand of you know women ownership and women taking the front role uh exactly. it's again this is a this is we're in a new age we're in a new era and uh, <laughs> it sounds like you're part of not only be part of it, but working with other people that are that are like that. But the thing that about about the airport concept that, that kind of blows my mind is having been at many eaten at many airport restaurants over over the years. It's always underwhelming experience. You know, it's a, you always feel like they've taken famous brands and you're getting the, the 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 B or C team version of that particular brand. You know, so for you to be able to to create a shop in a in a in an airport where you have 
all sorts of challenges, like whatever the the rules are in the airport itself, yeah, the unions that they have to work with or there's food service companies that they have to deal with there. So you always feel like you're working with one hand tied behind your back. How you pull that off is, I think, pretty, uh, it's got to be a great story. Yeah, I mean, look, like you said, it's one hand tied behind your back. And really, the other hand is tied there, too, because if you think about the mindset of a passenger coming through an airport, they're stressed. They're rushed, especially, you know, maybe they they're running late or they have kids and it's it's sometimes they're already in a bad framework. And, you know, you come in and you might have an experience, but you're already in a bad headspace. So then that passenger not happy with things. And I think the other piece that OTG does well is because we actually staff and we operate, we run all those locations is, you know, bringing hospitality to the airports. We try to do that. We try to mitigate that stress by, you know, we have at some of our locations where you can just order off of the QR code and get the food even faster because most yeah. of the time it's before they sit, how long is, this, how long is the food going to take? How, you right, know, so right. you can mitigate that right away. You sit, you know, it's it's up to you. You can order right away. And we do operate in smaller kitchens. Um, storage is always, you know, an issue. But like I said, we really try to stay as true to the brands that we license as possible. And, you know, we source from who they source from. We don't just go to U.S. Food, Cisco. You know, maybe that's who they source from. But if they have small purveyors um, yeah. who use very specific products, organic products, whatever it might be, we have a whole supply chain that's dedicated to that and sourcing from them. So we're not just slapping the brand on and, and then making the recipes our own. We're really working with that licensee and saying, you know, come in and try the food. You're not happy. We'll have our chefs there that day or the next day and, you know, rework that dish until you're happy with it. Awesome. Um, so we really take the food quality piece very seriously and then bringing some of that hospitality. I'd say well, Shannon, the game changers. I feel like I could spend the whole rest of the day talking with you about this because to me, this is fascinating. Your whole story is fascinating. Here you are. I'm looking at you. You've got to be, you know, what are you, are you 30 years old yet? <laughs> I'm, I'm 31. I'm 31. 31 years old. You've lived a lifetime of lifetimes. Uh, you know, each one of these adventures that you've had has been, you know, not only fabulous for your experience, but it's like, it's a lifetime unto itself. So uh, you've accomplished a lot. Uh, I feel like you're just still at the beginning of your career and, and who knows where it's all going to lead. Uh, and so I'd love to have you come back another time. And maybe uh, also when you have some, some particular, uh, let's say, if you've launched some new brands at the airports. To tell yeah, some absolutely. Yeah. I'd love we... to get into that right now. Uh, I, I know I had said to you, I can't cause it is yeah. confidential, but you know, I think the one thing coming off of this, and if, if anyone who listens to this can take it away, who isn't in the industry or is thinking about it, you know, look at where I started. And, you know, now I've had a bunch of positions that were really fun. Um, yes, I had to start over a bit and start at the bottom, but, um, you know, I'm just so happy in the role I have now and kind of the roles I've had before. And, you know, especially for any women out there who are, gosh, yeah. you know, do I want to do this? Do I want to get into pizza? Um, please do. If I can help anyone in any way, you know, if people, reach out to me. if people would like to reach out to you, what's the best way for them to reach you? Uh, so my professional pizza Instagram, that's probably the best way. Okay. Uh, so it's just the pizzaiola. The pizzaiola. Yeah. Yeah. So you can what reach out to me that? there. I'm following that one. Um, and then, okay. So let's, you'll start there. I'm going to write this down so that I can put this in the notes when we post this to the show. The pizzaiola. Right. Yeah, with an A. And, and the other oh, yeah. thing, you know, I would say that really I ran up against was 
every single person in my life told me not to do this, told me not to go into food, not to go into pizza. They thought I was crazy with, you know, the education I was fortunate enough to have. Um, Just, you know, don't do this. Don't do this. The one person who told me to keep going is my now wife. Uh, She's the only one who was like, yeah, you got to do this. Like you got to follow your gut. You got like, go do this. Um, And I, I don't know without her, if I would be, sitting and talking with you today. I, I really don't you know. Gotta have, you got to have need that, that one person. person. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Well, Shannon, it's been a delight talking with you and getting to know you and can't wait to hear. I feel like we're just at chapter one or two of uh, of, a, of an unfolding saga. Like I said, this could be a TV series. <laughs> so we'll work on that together down the road. And also now from, from one takeaway for me from this conversation is if I know of any um, um, brands, emerging brands that might be appropriate for airport, you know, oh, uh, please, yeah. should I send send them to you? Can I put you together with them? Please, please send it to me. Uh, if we are thinking of going after that market or we're currently in there, absolutely. It does go along with the cadence of when the airports are actually releasing their concession spaces. But I, that's, I value that most. I love word of mouth. Um, and, you know, thank you so, so much for having me on this. When, you know, you had approached me, Alex had said it. I was like, I, he, why would, I don't know. He wants me on this because, you know, you just, <laughs> You just interviewed Wiley Dufresne. Um, and then you have my pizza gods who are, you know, Laura Meyer, uh, Audrey yeah. Kelly, Nicole Bean. Those are, you know, my, those are the gods to me. Well, and, and, um, and again, you paid your dues. You've got, you are, you've networked with some of the best and the brightest, but this show is really more about the quest than it is even about the pizza. The pizza is just sort of, a, I call it the uh, MacGuffin of the show. You know, we do, we hook people with pizza, but we're really talking about this deeper search for meaning and purpose in life. And I think that your journey, you know, personifies that. You've been digging in, you've been searching your your short but whole life, you know, <laughs> <laughs> um, you know to, to answer those deeper questions. And, and I think we still only just scratched the surface today. So I would love to continue this conversation in the future. We will uh, we'll get back with you and uh, give you a chance to get some of, some of the concepts up and running so we can actually talk about some of them too. I'd love to Absolutely. do that. Absolutely. I would love that, Peter. Thank you. All right. Well, Shannon Mancini, thank you again for being on Pizza Quest today. Thank all of you for joining us today. Stay tuned for future episodes. And uh, you know, it's a little, little bit down the road. We'll get together with Shannon again and catch up with the next iteration in her story. Thanks, Shannon. Great. Thank you. Have a good one. Thank you. Pizza Quest is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network food radio supported by you keep in touch at heritageradionetwork.org slash subscribe